The Big Show with Jake Scott, presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing and the best prices on tires. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Big Show, Jake Scott with you, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Stay tuned. Christian Cox is going to join the show at the top of the 4 o'clock hour. We're going to talk uh, some additional Utah-USC coverage with Shotgun Spratling coming up here momentarily. Covers uh, USC for uscfootball.com. So uh, we'll chat with him. Big game for the Utes. Maybe not as uh, big a game as a lot of people thought going into the season. But, hey, the conference has been so wacky. This is still an important game. And Utah, obviously, is still very much alive uh, in conference contention. And regardless of what you do in your non-conference, that's the good part about conference play. You've got more to play for. And uh, that, that means this game uh, certainly is still important. Although both teams maybe not on the trajectory, of course, that we all thought. And But the South is wide open. PK told us yesterday he thinks Arizona State is uh, is the best team right now. Well, I guess he put Oregon ahead of Arizona State for the league. But uh, right there neck and neck and the best team in the South. So, you know... If you're not uh, if you're not named Arizona or Colorado, you probably are still very much in contention uh, for the division and then uh, certainly for the conference. In fact, let's get out to the Smart Rain special guest line. Utah will be in a drought next summer. Smart Rain knows that 2022 budget planning for most businesses is coming soon. Take advantage of their Save Now Pay Later promotion and do your part by saving water while saving money. Check uh, Best of State Award winner Smart Rain at SmartRain.net. He covers. Uh, USC football for uscfootball.com. He's Shotgun Spratling with us here on the big show. Shotgun, what's going on, man? Nothing much. Thanks for having me, guys. No, thanks for coming on. Uh, we were we were just talking about this game, and a lot of people around here, at least, thought this game would be pivotal and would be a really epic showdown for the future of the division. And maybe the teams are not necessarily on the trajectory we thought before the year. <laughs> Based on how the conference has gone, this is still a very important game. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, I think the first couple of weeks were going, oh, looks like the Pac-12 South is finally going to reign supreme over the North. The North looked really bad. I think it was week two, you know, losing four of the five games. And then the next week, the entire Pac-12 South just looks like looks like crap compared to what they had the first couple weeks. So, yeah, it's been a lot of up and down for a lot of teams. I mean, Arizona State looked really good last week against BYU. I mean, I guess UCLA, but I watched them against BYU when they had 15, 16 penalties, including like three false starts in a row. So, you know, which team are you going to get each week has been a big question in the Pac-12 South. And I think that – because of that, that tells you that every game is going to be monumental in, in the division rank race because, you know, you never know who's going to show up one week and, you know, you may be expecting a team to win on the road or, you know, beat a team and instead they fall and suddenly a door opens up for someone to, to sneak in as the Pac-12 South uh, title. So help me with something here as, uh, as someone obviously you're much more familiar with how things work at USC. Moving on from a head coach in game number two, why didn't they – I mean, why not stick it out for the rest of the year or why not fire him at the end of last year, one or the other? It seems like USC has been down this road before and it hasn't really worked out all that well. I mean, ex- explain that one to me a little bit. So one of the things I think was the administration that came in, they came in in 2019, the new athletic director, Mike Bone, and 
basically the contract was a little bit of an albatross, so they weren't able to make a move at that time. So they said, hey, we're going to build everything around Clay Helton, give him better assistant coaches, you know, better recruiting staff, and see if we can make it work that way. Because we just can't get rid of him right now because of the contract. Uh, the numbers that we heard were, were just kind of extraordinary because Lin Swan gave him a fully guaranteed extension when really no one was competing with uh, USC to, to hire away Clay Helton. So a little bit of a surprising move there, and it just made this albatross of a contract. So they put everything else around him in place and said, let's see if that works. And after week two, uh, you know, that Stanford boss, you just go, it's the same thing over and over that we've seen throughout his tenure. It's not going to change. So go ahead and make the move now. And, you know, putting Dante Williams in, in, you know, in the interim head coach position, one of the big things that he has been trying to change with the USC as far as the culture is the accountability. You know, showing up on time to meetings and uh, workouts and, and class and everything else, things that have kind of fallen off a little bit with Clay Helton. Uh, and um, my colleague, Keely, uh, the first week uh, of the week of that firing when they were going to Washington State, did a really good article about all the small changes that Dante Williams was trying to enact. And yeah, I think the administration thought, let's put Dante Williams in, in, in charge. Hopefully he can turn things around there, and maybe we can salvage this season. Because what they had seen in that Stanford game was, this is the same thing over and over. We're going to see it the rest of the season as well. But maybe when we make a change now, we can salvage this season. And also give themselves a chance to be the first one in line, to talk to any other coach out there, because it's obviously the first big-name job to open up. You know, you can talk to everyone that's in the NFL. You can talk to people in, on the college ranks. You can talk to people that are retired. You know, you get you be the first one to talk to everybody. And even if you know coaches are going to wait out the season, you're going to be the ones that have already talked to them in those back channels and stuff. So you've already gotten your foot in the door. So I think all those reasons went into making that early move. How's uh, how's the new? I, I mean, I guess he's not all that new anymore. But uh, how's Bone doing as athletic director this far? I think he's done a really good job. I mean, like I said, I, I think that he was hampered by the contract with Clay Helton, and a lot of people were upset that he didn't make a move in 2019. But outside of that, I've liked a lot of the hires they made, you know, whether it be in football with the support staff and, you know, beefing up the resources there or with the assistant coaches or in other sports, you know, in the women's basketball hire. Lindy Gottlieb I thought was a really good hire, uh, bringing her back from the NBA. So, uh, the moves that he's made so far, I, I think that he's done a good job, and I think that they've done the right thing as far as trying to build up you know, all those resources around the head coach in the USC football program. Because even when Pete Carroll was at USC, it was kind of, you know, they, they worked out in a weight room that looked like a high school, and they was kind of like, well, they're already winning with it. Why do we need to give them anything else? Whereas this administration is saying, hey, we need to give them the best and try to build up this program as much as we can. So what is the strength of this year's USC team? When things have been going well, what's been going on? I mean, I think that you, you start with Drake London. I mean, he's the best receiver in the nation. He's a Blitnikoff front runner right now. And probably if USC was playing a little bit better, would be in the, a little bit of Heisman talk early right now. He's got better numbers than Devontae Smith had at this uh, point last season. So uh, I think he's the strength on offense. And when they run the ball, they've been able to run the ball much more successfully this season. I think their offensive line has really improved under Clay McGuire, the new offensive line coach. And I think they just need to give the run more of a chance. They went away from it way too early in that Oregon State game, in my opinion, when they were running pretty well. And when they stay kind of balanced, which is not ideal for, you know, for the air raid truthers that want to stick to you know, slinging the ball around 50 times. But when they're more balanced, I think the offense really runs really well. But Drake London himself is just changing the defenses that USC has seen. 
you know, you look at that Colorado game, they had, you know, they were trying to double team him at times, they were trying to play a safety over him. On one touchdown catch from a different receiver, Drake London had three guys on it. Uh, they had a 53-yard run, and that was because the safety was over the top of Drake London and was not in place. So he's changing defense completely. And then on the defensive side, when the pass rush is getting to the quarterback and affecting the quarterback, that's when they're really going well. They covered a little bit better against Colorado, and that enabled them to get in the backfield. They had five sacks, could have had two more that were you know, uh, given a favorable home scoring of a no gain instead of a, a loss of a yard. Um, but you know, when the pass rush is getting there, Drake Jackson and Tui Tupuotu, the, the defense is on a different level than it is when they can't get to the quarterback. So when things have not been going so well for USC, what has been going on? Well, for defenses, uh, you know, that Oregon State game, they, just didn't, they didn't stop the run, and then Oregon State was able to hit play action and everything. Uh, USC's done a pretty good job of stopping the run outside that game. Stanford got one really long run, but outside that, they ran for less than two yards a carry. So it, it starts with stopping the run on that side. On the offensive side, when things aren't going well, uh, it's that you know, they're not – uh, finishing and doing the, the small details. You know, they're getting five yards on a run, but maybe there's another five yards to get one more block. Or they're getting in the red zone early in the season, they really struggle getting in the red zone and kind of having drives fizzle out and having to kick field goals. You know, they're they're 100% inside the red zone right now. You know, their, their kicker, Parker Lewis, is 9 for 9 on the season. But you don't necessarily want your kicker kicking that many field goals, and a lot of them have been shorter ones because they stalled out in the red zone. So some of the small details there – and Keaton Slovis not necessarily being on the same page with some of the receivers that time because they got a, a ton of new receivers, a ton of new guys, a ton of weapons um, that both in the tight end position, running back position, and a wide receiver that he hasn't always been on the same page with them, and, and at times that's really hurt them. How excited are folks down there about the future of Utah native Jackson Dart? Oh, it's super excited, obviously. He brought a spark to them at the in the Washington State game, and maybe a little too excited for my liking, just because it's one game, it's a freshman, and you know we saw Keaton Slovis. His first start was against Stanford. They tried to play man coverage the entire game, just like Washington State did in that, and USC torched them, uh, similar to you know 2019 when Matt Fink comes in uh, against Utah after Keaton Slovis gets knocked down and won the first plays of the game. Utah tries to play man coverage the entire game. He lights them up. But then the next week, what happens? You know, for Slovis, it was at BYU. He threw three interceptions. For Matt Fink, he had a feeling the next week at Washington, and he, he struggled there. So one game is a little bit too much for me to, you know, jump on board completely of him being the savior of the program or anything. But the fans obviously loved everything that he could do and were really disappointed to hear that he had uh, a knee injury that's going to keep him out for a few weeks. And we'll see when he can come back. USC really wanted to use him when Dante Williams took over. They were going to put in a dark package, and that's what they had for that game. And unfortunately, Keaton Slovis goes down on the first drive. But I think when he's back healthy, I think you'll see him in there and doing some different things on short yards and in the red zone to, to try to open this offense up a little bit. And I think he's going to, you know, the fans are going to love, you know, every time he's in there because of his creativity and his kind of gunslinger mentality. So I want to ask you a question on on the macro, kind of, because what's going on in college sports really is is fascinating, right? Uh, you know, the SEC adding Texas and Oklahoma, and now it's kind of uh, well, how do you hammer out your spot in the pecking order? You know, we we cover BYU as well; they're going to the Big Twelve and these conferences, how they adjust in the Pac twelve, and I think smartly so has not uh, chosen to to expand, and I I one hundred percent think that's the right move, but at the same time, you know, to 
to be what they can be as a conference in the landscape, they need their brand names to to be relevant and relevant on the highest level. And with that in mind, I mean, maybe you disagree, but with that in mind, how important is it that USC hire the right next head coach and get the program back where it needs to be for everybody's well-being? No, I, I think you're absolutely correct because of how much money comes in when a team makes the playoff and how much money comes in when multiple teams make the NCAA tournament in basketball and go the distance. So you need UCLA basketball to be good. You need USC football because, you know, the high tide rises, uh, raises all ships. So I think that that's the, the, the thing that would happen if USC is doing really well in football. So I think this hire is huge for the, for the conference as a whole and the fact that you know, we talked with George Kliakoff and, you know, we talked to him at media day and everything. And it doesn't sound like they're going to, they're going to be smarter about the scheduling and things where you're not having those back-to-back road games on a Friday, you know, type of thing that the Pac-12 just overlooked. And it hurt them so much for like a three-year period, you know, knocking out potential, uh, potential teams in the college football playoffs. So I think they're going to be smarter at the, at the conference level, but USC being good, raises the bar for everyone else. And I think that that's something that's been missing since Pete Carroll left. And unfortunately, I think at the same time, you know, the college football dynamic has changed because of the playoff and everything else, uh, NIL and, uh, you know, the transfer portal that the Pac-12 is looked at as, you know, the, the fifth of the five. And people are wondering, are, is it actually a, uh, you know, a, the Power Five conferences anymore? Is it just the Power Four? And then the Pac-12 is kind of off in the ether by itself. Um, I, I think it was really smart of them if they're not going to expand and not looking and finding the right fit to go into this alliance with the, the Big Ten and the ACC because then you have that voting power when you go to those major initiatives like the college football playoff expansion and things like that. So I think it was really smart. Uh, a lot of things were thrown at George Kliakoff, you know, early in his tenure, and I think he's done a really good job so far. Um, but he'll ultimately be judged on that next TV contract. And I think if USC is going well, and they're off to a really good start next year under a new coach, I think that really helps in those negotiations as well. So who's your favorite in the South right now, realizing there's a lot of football left to be played, but who do you think is in the pole position? I mean, I, I think Arizona's in the pole position just because they have, you know, one of the three big wins that you can get. Um, you know, the, of the six teams that there are, for them are, are quality teams, and I'm including Utah in there because I think they'll continue to get better. I was really surprised at how they struggled early in the season with the transfers they brought in. I thought that, you know, they would be able to make an immediate impact, and maybe the you know addition by subtraction of Charlie Brewer is is what they needed. I don't, I'm not sure exactly. We'll see on on Saturday what they look like in person, but I, I think Utah can be in that mix as well. But Arizona's in the pole position because they have that win over UCLA, and UCLA is now having to fight over that. Um, I think that USC has great potential, but they also have great potential for disaster if you know if they don't play to their capabilities, which is, hasn't been the case at home the last couple of games. So losing to Oregon State first time in 61 years, uh, losing to you know Stanford and get blown out. Both those games blowouts are really eye opening in the fact that USC's really struggled in some areas recruiting, and I think those have finally caught up with them. Uh, at certain positions, including at that nose tackle position, which is why they made the move and moved uh, big Maximus Gibbs, who's six seven, listed at six seven, three hundred ninety pounds, uh, moved him to nose tackle, and you know in five days he was already in the game and got a got a snap on Saturday. We'll see if he gets some more opportunities this week. Six seven three ninety, good heavens! 
That is a huge. <laughs> that is a huge person right there. That is a that is a huge man. Well, uh, I I will tell you this, Shotgun. I don't know what to expect from Utah as we go into this game, and I'm sure you've been following the story. It's been a national story. Aaron Lowe, uh, who was murdered after their win over Washington State, and they had a bye week. But I mean, I just I have no idea how the team's going to respond, honestly. And if they came came out and struggled a little bit, who could blame them? I mean, that's just that's really incredible to go through in the middle of a season. Yeah, I mean, the tragic situation they've now gone through two years in a row is just its heart-wrenching and just uh, unfathomable a little bit. Um, you know, just that something like this could happen to two kids that knew each other so well and Aaron Lowe wearing Ty Jordan's number this season. Uh, you know, it's just its just heartbreaking to, to see that happen. With 18- and 22-year-old kids, you, you never really know exactly how they're going to react because it can go in many different directions um, to any type of situation, but especially one as tragic as this because – I'm sure there's so many players on that team, and I'm sure there's some that have gone through situations before, tough situations, but so many that haven't gone through something like this at this point in their life, and how do they react to it? Does it bring everyone together? You know, and that's, you know, much to a much lesser degree, but similar with USC, when you fire a coach early in the season, does that bring everybody together? Does it, you know, open up that us against the world mentality, or, you know, does it, you just, something that you have residual effect from throughout the rest of the season and you just never really get over and it can go either way and it really just depends on the players themselves the personalities they have and the leadership within the locker room and how how the the team kind of rallies uh, together um, in that locker room with one another so last thing for you and i'm sorry i'm circling back on the coaching thing uh but uh, if you had to make a bet is it going to be the boring choice of luke fickle or something out of the blue uh, I mean, if I'm given those two choices only, I'll go out of the blue All just right. because uh, you, you never know with the USC coaching search. And, you know, Luke Fickle is off to a great start, and if he has a great year, I don't know that he's going to want to leave Cincinnati as a Midwest guy with six children um, and everything else. So he might be pining and uh, uh, for a, a, an opportunity somewhere else in the Midwest at one of those big-name uh, programs in a couple of years. So to be determined. You know, I, I kind of think going the safe route with the AD, the new AD's guy, might be just what the doctor ordered for uh, for USC. But at the same time, you're right; it's USC. You know, they swing for the fence every time. Yeah, so we'll see. I mean, USC has swung for the fences in the past and ended up yeah. with uh, some retreads and ended up with some different names. And their best one in the last 30, 40 years is the guy that was the the third or fourth, fifth pick for them in Pete Carroll. So. Uh, there's no telling how, how it'll go and how exactly it'll work out for them. Well, hey, we appreciate you jumping on the show today, uh, sharing a little insight, and enjoy the game on Saturday. All right. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, thank you. Uh, that was uh, Shotgun Spratling. He writes uh, or covers USC for uscfootball.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. And uh, Lloyd is out. Jake Hatch is uh, uh, on the board producing now, and Jake actually helped us get that interview. He was good. He was good. Ryan's got a good crew down there. Of course, Ryan Abraham's been on with DJ yeah, yeah. for a long time, and this is part of his uh, his group. He's got a really good crew nice. down there. Well, he was good. Thanks to, and I love his name. Maybe my favorite name of a guest, Shotgun, Shotgun Spratling, which just rolls off the tongue so well. Lloyd and I were trying to uh, uh, decide what, uh, with a name like Shotgun Spratling, what should his profession be. Right, well, you know, what would that be? And and I went with a, a bouncer of some sort. I mean, even the names, try like if you're if you're uh, 
you know, uh, out of line at a, a bar or a concert or something, and someone says, "Okay, well, I'm going to go get a head of security, shotgun, Spratling." You're 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 leaving yourself. You know what I mean? Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, guys. See ya. it's like you know what I'm leaving. I don't know. I don't know what's in store for me, but if uh, some dude named Shotgun is on his way, then I think I'm out of here. One thing that Shotgun is also really good at, and I know we don't talk about it as much, he's actually a college baseball like expert. Oh, there you go. I can't. I can't follow college baseball. Well, I have a t- enough time following Major League Baseball. Yeah, he does. He does a lot of USC stuff, but in addition to that, he does a lot of baseball for not on the college side of things. Yeah, there you go. All right. Well, I appreciate his insight on on USC, and we'll see what USC team shows up when things. I mean, Cole Fotheringham talked to us about it earlier in the week. When things are going well for USC, usually they're playing. You know, they're pouring it on. But when they face some adversity, they haven't really responded well to that much this year. So at the same time, they've lost to Oregon State and they've lost to Stanford. Both teams might be pretty good. I know we're not used to saying that about the Beavs, but they might actually be a, a decent squad. And I like their coach. Jonathan Smith is uh, he's always been one of my favorites of Pac-12 Media Day. He's, he's a Corvallis dude. He's been there. He's he's known the experience and can sell that program to recruits. And uh, I don't know. He he seemed like he had a good plan when he got that job at Oregon State. So well, pretty decent team. He understands the lay of the land there because you are playing second fiddle to the University of, of Nike or AKA University of Oregon, and you've got to just you have to carve out your own kind of niche. And he's done a great job as yeah. you mentioned so far. Yeah, and Stanford not bad either. I mean, I don't know. They they're kind of inconsistent themselves, I suppose. But, but Tanner McKee. He's making them must-watch television just with his ability at quarterback as a return missionary true freshman. Now, if USC had lost to Colorado last weekend, then I think you could really say, okay. Okay. All right. But that, (laughs) that of course, didn't happen. Colorado has no offense. None. Zero. Like, like like 63 total yards in a game, no offense. Go back, Going back to the Oregon State thing, Sam Neuer, who was uh, all Pac-12 last year at quarterback, transferred from Colorado to, to Oregon, Oregon State, State to go yeah. home, and now he's riding the pine there in Corvallis, where he likely is the starter still if he's there in Boulder. How did Colorado, didn't they go 4-0 out yeah. of the gate last year? Yeah. Yep, and the real, COVID, the COVID year was a was a weird year because they're they're really bad. And I like Carl Durrell too. He's an easy coach to root for. But yeah, that's that's a bad team. And PK is totally right when he says uh, when Arizona and Colorado play, that'll be the one conference victory for both those teams. I think. Do you want to go over in Pac-12 play? Lose that game. Yeah, boy, rough. Kind of like Urban Meyer in the, for the Jacksonville Jaguars. They're going to lose every single game. Although the Titans lost to the Jets last weekend, and they play the, the Jags play the Titans this weekend. So, listen, if the Titans go back-to-back weeks losing to the Jets and the Jags, there's something really wrong Should in Tennessee. Just, just outright fire their head coach? Yeah, like right then and there. Be like, you know what? You lost to those two teams? That's, that's just not. Uh, Lane Kiffin, uh, good old Vrabel. Wow, tarmac! Right on the tarmac. I don't know who's the, who's the home team in the Jaguars uh, uh, game this weekend, so maybe it won't be on the tar- tarmac. Don't let him address the team in the locker room. You lose those two games in a row. Although Zach Wilson uh, did have some special throws, certainly he went out there and won it. I'm not trying to discount Zach's win. Who's the home team? Jaguars are the home team. Oh yeah, so Lane Kiffin, that guy, right yeah, there on, on the, the tarmac. tarmac, right there. I see. I, it's, I, it's Mike Vrabel who's their head coach, yeah, yeah. and you know if he were to get fired, you know exactly where he's going. He's going right back to New England to work for Bill. 
Yeah, except for they kind of suck too. I'm, I'm just saying. Yeah, he's yeah. one of those guys that's going right back home. Yeah. So there you go. Bad teams for 500, Alex. All right, stay tuned. We'll have more Big Show coming up right around the corner. Christian Cox is going to be on the show at the top of the 4 o'clock hour. Hans Olsen is going to be live in studio at 5. Stay tuned. Big Show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.